So today I am joined by Gabriella de Stafford. Is that did I did I pronounce that right? Is that right? Yeah, that's Stafford. Right. And Rowan Debus Rowan Debus Stafford, and you may know them better as um, Laurie Mills' ex training partner, and also someone who sounds exactly like Morgan McDonald without an Australian accent is something that I've picked up from listening to the podcasts. You sound exactly the same as Morgan McDonald, which is quite interesting. That's so funny. Maybe I'll I'll go live in Australia for a decade and then see if you'd come out with an Australian accent. Come out, sound like Morgan McDonald, and maybe you know tan get some more facial hair let it kind of go crazy bit at the back <laughs> maybe knock a few minutes off my 5k pb while i'm at it similar hair you've got pretty similar hair so yeah curly wavy flow bedhead <laughs> what is your 5k pb i feel like everyone knows more about gabriella's running than yours so right, like I, i've never broken 18 right i was a i was a rugby player in university who got one too many shoulder and elbow injuries and so I started getting into running then because you know when your best friends are at, at the time best friend now wife <laughs> is a professional athlete it's like oh that sounds cool so it was just a way for me to get into being competitive with myself when I couldn't run around testing people anymore mm-hmm. it's it's funny because it's normally the story of elites as well how they did a different sport and then didn't play that sport anymore and then transitioned into running seems like no one ever wants to be a runner from the from birth which I don't know if that's just a coincidence or not but I feel like running is a tough sport for a little kid to fall in love with maybe Jakob Anderson can like <laughs> you know he was doing it since he was 10 but I feel like most kids like they do a race and they're do doing more than a kilometer and they're like oh my god like this is really hard um so you kind of learn to love it I feel but yeah, I know. I really enjoyed running when I was a little kid, actually. Like, oh, really? I, I did cross-country in, at, like, junior school in the UK. So when I was, like, 8 to 10 years old and really enjoyed it. But then, I don't know, I really started liking rugby, even though I sucked at it at first. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's definitely, who knows? There's a parallel universe where I never played rugby and just did cross-country my whole life instead. But, um, yeah. Hmm. So you've both had prolonged stints in the UK before? Um, before we moved there in 2019? Yeah. Oh, oh, like you both have like lived in the UK at some point in your lives for like a prolonged period of time. Yeah. I just yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, we both moved there when I started training with Laura, uh, Laura Muir, in September of 2018. Well, I guess I went over there first for a bit then came back for a few months to finish my undergraduate degree at the University of Toronto. And then we went both back over in May of 2019. Mm-hmm. But Rowan, obviously, from his accent, was yeah. born and raised in the UK. So I, I grew up in Ramsgate in Kent. Um, bumped into a British person the other week, was like, oh, Kent's so posh. And it's like, maybe it's posh, but Ramsgate is not the posh part of Kent at all. Yeah, um, It's like, you know, without making a political comment, it will still your UK listeners will understand this. Like Ramsgate is the town that Nigel Farage looked at and was like, I'm going to run for MP there. So that's, um, tells you a lot <laughs> about, <laughs> about Ramsgate. Um, so yeah, that's where I grew up. And then I moved to Canada in 2006. Wow. That's really interesting. Cause I go to Margate quite a lot, which is quite close to Ramsgate, I think. So yeah. It's yeah. funny because 
when I was a kid, Margate was awful. And mm. I'm sure oh, really? people from Margate won't take offense. Won't take offense to that. It was it was awful. It was brutal. It was run down. Like Ramsgate was crap, but Margate was even worse. Mm. Um, but then, like location, 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 featured it as like a great commuter spot for Londoners who wanted cheap properties with a train train access to London and then it just boomed and it's had this whole renaissance and now my friends are like oh yeah Margate's super bougie now wow <laughs> all right yeah Hard to believe it. it's like someone saying Scarborough has become like the Rosedale of Toronto you know like it just it hasn't has it no okay but, but that's <laughs> that what would it, be that's be like the yeah. yeah. coming, right but there you go that's yeah it's like, it's like the perfect mixture of classiness now but also it's still got all the stuff that probably used to be there like there's loads of weird arca- arcades and like really weird shops yeah. as well as all the nice Pretty stuff. So it's, it's a nice mixture. I did get carried away. So I was going to ask you both to introduce yourselves, like one did introduce the other. So I'm going to go back to that just so then we can get a better understanding of who you both are for anyone who doesn't know. And uh, I'll leave the, I'll leave that up to you and you can discuss between yourselves who goes first. Wait, so we introduce each other? Like I introduce Rowan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> well... <laughs> I hate introductions. This is Rowan, Rowan DeGue Stafford, my best friend and husband, um, British Canadian, track nerd extraordinaire. Um, you've got a memory like a track and you love history, the big history buff. What else about you? You're, I'm sorry, more this. <laughs> Started volunteering as a coach at the University of Victoria and yeah, I don't know. Anything else pertinent about you? Lots of things. <laughs> That's fine. I'll, I'll Sorry, I can redo it. <laughs> I feel on the spot. That's right. Let's think about you. I don't want to go with classic stuff. Mm. So um, I'll say this is Gabriella. She's, she's an athlete. She's hyper-competitive. Even by athletic standards, she's hyper-competitive with herself and with other people um perfectionist mm. um i need to stop shaking i'm like bouncing up and down i don't know why <laughs> uh you're a perfectionist um you always love having little hobbies that you just throw yourself all into whether it be the hair nails like she's done absolutely amazing nails you should check out some some of her like south of spain slash moroccan inspired nail art it's fantastic and then right now she's trying to do a thousand cranes in a hundred days or something absolutely crazy like that, like origami cranes. Um, so it's good luck and then you get a wish. The kind of competitive jump in the deep end, hyper-focus that is like, yeah, I could see how if you apply that to sport, this would turn that person into a professional athlete. So there you go. It's like, it goes beyond track. Um, and obviously, yeah, loving, supportive wife, great sense of humor gets passionate about all the right stuff like political issues i realize that could be taken in other directions <laughs> you're also hyper competitive which is a good which is a good pair because you get it you get the the pro athlete lifestyle i feel like many prospective partners <laughs> would not quite understand the the world of track and field but yeah it's fun i really feel like we do this together because I mean, I'm just as ambitious as you. Yeah, exactly. So, sometimes more so. Yeah, <laughs> which is good to have. It's good to have somebody who's more ambitious because 
you know, I feel like sometimes as an individual, you can limit yourself. Um, but yeah, you get a real kick out of the whole, the whole track stuff, which is fun. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah. I've noticed that. And that also, I'm really envious of that because my girlfriend couldn't care less about track and field. And is also the most, like the least competitive person on the planet. So I always feel bad talking about track and field and also being competitive. So it must be nice be able to be able to like bounce off each other and actually have like competitive, like, I don't know. It, it must get quite exhausting as well, though, if you're competitive over something together and then you always have to one-up each other. But I'm sure you don't well, know that. That's the great thing is because like, I'm so mediocre. <laughs> it's never an issue. Yeah. Right? Like, I know I'm, I'm not going to, like Gabriel's mentioned, like how it, it would be tough if I were to get actually good. Yeah. Well, it would be tougher because if my goals became a bit higher stakes. But for me, it's like I run because I want to be competitive with, my, with myself. I recognize like, the guy who like was finishing university like six four 200 pounds is not going to be the best long distance runner right <laughs> right so like whatever i'm just doing this for myself mm-hmm. but yeah because I've, I've dated some like um my ex-boyfriend um is an olympian rio olympian and you know he's he's great guy and everything but like when you have two people in the sport like i i'm very I respect a lot of the couples, like the track couples, because it is extremely difficult when you're so invested in your career. And then if something goes wrong with the other person, like how to support that person while also, because there is a certain amount of like a certain time of year, you have to be kind of like selfish and prioritize yourself, but it's hard when you're like trying to support um, somebody else. And yeah, it can just be like be really complicated when you have like two professional athletes um, in a relationship. So yeah, this is, mm-hmm. And I've, and I've heard even... I mean, that's what I mean. So when I'm saying I'm hyper-competitive with track, it's yeah. like an ambitious, it's being competitive and ambitious on her behalf. So like I'm ambitious for her goals. I'm like you know, going to races saying you can do X, Y, and Z in this race. Like you can beat this person. You can run this time mm-hmm. and say that in training and whatever. Um, so that's what I mean. So I'm competitive with myself, but... Although we can't play, we can't play too many board games that are yeah. not cooperative. We're good at cooperating in a game, but if we're if we're getting combative, um, it's can, it can get it can not it can get ugly really, but it can get intense. <laughs> so we don't play too many games where we're facing each other because yeah. we are very competitive. And sure which, I let you win half the time. Oh come on! You don't, you never let me win, Rowan. <laughs> we never let anybody else win no. we, 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 we can never play we sport with each other yeah pretty much yeah. i would say that'd be a bad idea or there's a card game i don't know if anybody's of your listeners is a fan of the witcher witcher 3 there's a mini game within this video game called gwent and we have the physical version of this game that we can play against each other and the score will just get incredible because there are so many cards on the table because we're giving it everything and it's a three-round game and it gets to the point where we we've played like the majority of our cards in the first round. It gets intense. Anyways, don't know if that's too much <laughs> sidetracking, but <laughs> we're very competitive. <laughs> Backtracking a tiny bit with the competitiveness, Rowan, do you think there's a single track event or field event you could beat Gabriella at? Or what Ooh. do you think you'd be the closest to beating Gabriella at? Uh, the 100. The 100. And what then do maybe yeah yeah 60 indoors 100 um 
maybe if I was in great shape and actually trained a bit more on the speed and things, the 200. Yeah. But that's, yeah, so the short, short stuff. Because Rowan, especially if we didn't have a running start, this is like the rugby background for Rowan, your first few steps are extremely explosive. Whereas for me, I need more, more time to get up to speed. So especially if we're going from a standing start, you probably might even get me in the 200. Yeah. Yeah, it, I always find it quite remarkable how runners, especially distance runners, if you get like an average person off the street who isn't too unhealthy, they could probably have like beetles in a 60 meters because getting started is such a, and that's quite an embarrassing thing. Like if we're good at a sport, yet people can beat us. Like, because for them, it's like, oh, I beat them in a race. It doesn't matter if it's 10 or 100 times too short in like a, someone's mind. It kind of, I almost feel that's one of the problems of the sport where it's like, oh, I can beat them. That doesn't look too hard because everyone can run. Or do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, Although yeah, I do feel like 60 meters is long enough that your average person off the street wouldn't be able to beat somebody who trains. I feel like maybe the first 30 and then they would die. I'm, I'm glad you feel like that because my last race against one of my friends over 60, I just got, I just lost. But no! I, did, I, I, did, I didn't warm up. So it was, you know, it was kind of uh, like, but I, I'm not exactly the most um, explosive person out of the blocks either. So. Yeah, maybe a hundred meters. Cause sometimes it, people think they can run a hundred meters quite fast and they do it. hundred meters is deceptively a, far. When you're gonna... Yeah, maybe a hundred meters is that much further than 60. Yeah, it really is. Okay, there you go. Yeah, cause 60, you can, I don't want to get too scientific, but like 60, you can use all your ATP PC system or whatever it is. Whereas then a hundred, it gets into like the next energy system. So then you start right. fatiguing. Yeah. Moving from anaerobic elastic to just anaerobic. There you go. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember my sports studies at school, but I, I, I kind of don't really want to go back to that time in my life. So uh, I just want to educate some people as well or talk about your experience because on your first podcast, which is called Gabbing and... Gabbing, gabbing and running. <laughs> gabbing and running, okay. GNR with GNR. GNR. I'll, it's linked in the description if, uh, if anybody wants, who hasn't checked it out yet, wants to go and listen. Um, but the thing, the, in the first podcast, you were speaking about uh, stress response, REDS, I think it was. Mm-hmm. What are sort of, um, I guess, some things you wish you would have done differently? And also, like, if anyone who's listening, is there anything that you can sort of, would be like a tell, like tell sign that something is going to go wrong? And like, how soon do you think you could probably act on it or catch it out before it's too late, if that makes sense? <sighs> yeah, I'm not sure like how soon you can catch it before it's too late. But I mean, definitely a tell sign, especially for women, is like menstrual dysfunction and irregularity. Um, I didn't really get that, which is frustrating because that's usually like a pretty good indicator to know if you're eating enough and whatnot um but apparently you can have a menstrual bleed and not ovulate and ovulating is the the better indicator of whether or not you're in good energy availability so for those who don't know red stands for relative energy deficiency in sport so that basically just means when you're consuming fewer calories than you're expending so you're in an energy um your your energy availability is unbalanced so, um, in terms of, yeah, tell signs, it's like, if you're, if you notice yourself feeling 
anxious about food or um, just kind of restricting calories, any kind of behavior that you feel like you're restricting your calories, even if that's not, it doesn't even have to be necessarily like disordered eating, just if you're, you know, working really hard and really stressed and really busy and not necessarily finding the time to eat those kind of behaviors. Um, yeah, that's, that's something to watch out for. Do you have, do you have anything? I feel well, like it's just, Alfie, you asked specifically about whether any signs for you. Yeah. Um, so in your specific case, it was so tricky because, mm -hmm. and, and again, like we mentioned this the other week, in like February of 2020, mm -hmm. you lost your period and you raced like crap mm -hmm. and you didn't get a stress reaction. Yeah. Right. And then fast forward to May, June of 2022, you run 358 and come third in the Diamond League. Was feeling good in training. You've got, you're getting your period. Yeah. And you get a stress reaction. Mm -hmm. It's like, what the heck? Like that's, it feels like that, that doesn't make sense, mm -hmm. but it's because with these things, it is such a long-term, your bones don't break from stress and load in a couple of weeks. It's like mm -hmm. a many, many, many months slow deterioration. Unless you have like an extreme case, like, yeah. because for me, I was never in a quintessential case of reds where um, with the exception of the winter of 2020, where I was kind of uh, struggling with workouts, struggling with maintaining a regular menstrual cycle um, and just feeling really crap and probably underweight. I never had like a quintessential like red situation, but probably what was happening is, you know, I had the period of time in the winter of 2020 and then shortly after that, I also have a thyroid condition called Graves' disease, which is a hyperthyroid condition, which means that my metabolism, if it's untreated, I take medication for it uh, that suppresses my thyroid. But I have too much thyroxine in my body, so my metabolism is going crazy. Now, that might seem like a good thing because it's like, oh, great, she can like eat so much and recover more and her metabolism is faster so she can be lighter. But too much of a good thing is really bad because what happens is my body muscle, yeah itself. my body metabolizes itself so my muscles atrophy my heart rate is going crazy my resting heart rate is like 80 beats per minute so that whole of 2020 i probably had six months of it where i was in a period of bad energy availability so that kind of set the stage for my bone health to degrade over time so I was in a situation where I was kind of dipping in and out of uh, poor energy availability. So for me, like the tell signs were probably just like burnout and stress and then that impacting my relationship with food. Um, you know, I talked about this on our episode or we talked about this, that in the lead up to the, the Tokyo Olympics, I was working so hard and I was working so hard to get myself out of this hole with training that I was puking two to three times a week from training. Um, and so, you know, I tried very hard to make up the calories lost from those episodes of puking, but, you know, it's very much an uphill battle when you're, you're working so hard and, you know, I was very much force feeding myself. Um, so yeah, that, that was, those were kind of like the warning signs. Um, 
but in terms of like physical symptoms, like I have kind of like my left hamstring is a bit bothersome, but yeah, I think the bone health was compromised that, um, that kind of weakness that I had led to a sacral stress reaction. Um, you don't really get an injury in the bone as big as the sacrum or the femur or the spine without kind of like an energy availability issue. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough to like know the tells the tell signs because it's muscular until it's bone. And then once it's bone, you kind of just have to rest. Yeah, once it's bone, it's too late. It's too late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was a, it was a tough one. Like, yeah. I don't think like, yeah, like you used to first start getting pain in the area, like in January, February, mm-hmm. but it, it could have been, you had that really awful bed at that altitude camp. Yeah. So it's like, oh yeah, your back hurts because you're in a car a bunch and your back hurt and you're in a crap bed. Yeah. So like, yeah, it, it was a tough one. And I don't want to say like, I'm not saying we're blameless or anything or, mm-hmm. or that you couldn't have done anything better. But it's like that, it was a tough one to see coming. Cause again, you were running so fantastically yeah so i think i think that's the thing as well if like people listen who may be like oh i'm not doing like say if you've maybe lost a small amount of weight or maybe you have been like sitting weirdly at work or if you're doing something else but you like think it's probably not enough to do anything but if you combine all of the factors together then it's yeah. probably enough to contribute to something actually happening so it's not it sometimes can creep up because it's not like you're doing something extremely wrong it might just be you're doing a lot of things slightly wrong and then it could have the same effect if that makes sense yeah absolutely which is i think what happened with in this situation mm-hmm. like slightly wrong for like a couple of years straight yeah yeah and slowly that's just going to break you down over time mm-hmm. and so there's like things that we're going to do now to make sure uh that you know it doesn't it doesn't happen again um but yeah, in terms of like takeaways for your, like your average person, just like making sure you have like a good relationship with food is honestly the biggest, the biggest thing and keeping track of your energy levels as well. Like I think, um, I didn't realize, you know, it ha- it was a, a very stressful period since the pandemic started for us, but I didn't realize until taking like two months, basically totally off of exercise um, and just resting because the sacrum, it's such a tricky area of the body to like to do any exercise while allowing it to heal. I just didn't do any um, without, or just some walking once I was pain-free. I didn't realize how burnt out I was. And I think both, you know, both Rowan and I are coming out of a period of burnout. And I suddenly, after those two months, I was like, wow, I have like energy again. Like I didn't realize how much energy, how little energy I had beforehand. So I think just like really paying attention to like those kind of cues, especially for like the men on this pod who are listening to this podcast who can't like look at their menstrual function, right? <laughs> um, is, you know, like, are you eating enough? Do you feel like irritable suddenly? Um, yeah, those kind of cues, I think for your mental health are like big in terms of looking at energy availability and making sure you have like a good relationship with food and not overworking yourself as well when it comes to, because that's going to impact training at some point. Mm-hmm. One area where we definitely could have been better was like one training stimulus at a time. It's mm-hmm. like the goal. Yeah. Goal. Um, I don't know, like, yeah, we, we, we kind of threw a lot of training at you. Just 
like no knowing coming out of grave disease that you mm-hmm. have kind of had catch up it's like october 2020 you were we were in a position where you were not where you needed to be to be competitive in tokyo mm-hmm. so we just knew that there was a big catch up that needed to be done and so we kind of uh as jerry would say we microwaved some stuff yeah that's so what like jerry schumacher like i love this terminology from him where he's like the best fitness is slow cooked mm-hmm. over many months many years um but sometimes you just gotta microwave some fitness mm-hmm. and that's when you just it's not gonna be as good quality um you know it's not gonna be michelin star food at the end of it but like you just need to get it hot yeah and so we kind of have to do a bit of that ahead of tokyo mm-hmm. and sometimes that's what you have to do right so, especially if it's your career like if you're in a normal job and you didn't get the work done in time you'd work in overtime to get the job done whereas yeah. with running it i always think it's such an unfortunate sport where because like you see it in like basketball a lot when people spoke about oh i woke up at 5 a.m and took like a thousand shots and then had like four hours sleep but running if you have four hours sleep and do more then you're going to get injured so you can't always yeah. just put more hours in which would be wonderful if you could because i think people would be running much faster but that's not yeah. like it's not as simple as that um it is so a lot sport that way yeah that, that's the number one thing that i'm noticing starting to uh, help out with the university of victoria is you do get a lot of kids who come in you know they've got their idols from other sports you know they, they want kobe bryant's mamba mentality right so like if i work harder for longer than all my opponents then i will run faster right that's what they want to do and it's like no Again, you can't be the Kobe Bryant going to the court at 3am and taking a thousand free throws until you're perfect. Mm-hmm. Like if you do that with running, you will break and you won't make, you'll be no one. Yeah. So it's finding that balance and recovering as hard as you're training mm-hmm. um, is. Yeah, with running, it's like you don't, you don't put in more hours, but you just like when you're putting in the hours. It's with just like intense intention. Yeah, and being intentful with your whole life. Yeah. And like that's one of the things, like one of the best people in the game at that is Mohamed. Mm-hmm. Like that guy just lives and breathes recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, if you do want to put more hours into training, it can be pre-run mobility or recovery. Like recovery is so important. Like people think recovery is just about getting fresh. But it's also you're getting stronger or getting fitter from recovering better. That's when like people say you need to have like a snack to take it with training. Mm-hmm. It's also improving the adaptations you get from that session if you're recovering straight away. Um, yeah. So it's not just about being fresh. It's about getting better, basically. And I, the Zoom's about to kick us off, but just I just wanted to briefly mention something because I feel like Bauman are very particular. And like you said, how, how like microwaving and also obviously Mo Ahmed like focuses a lot on recovery. I think it's very a professional group and scientific scientific and i was listening to a podcast a few years ago and it was about it was stephen scullion's podcast and he was talking about evan jager and said mm-hmm. how like they were running at 10 and evan was saying was texting him at half seven saying he was going to be late because he's doing his pre-run exercises and i was like that's two and a half hours away how is that even possible but like <laughs> there's a process of everything um do you have anything like that uh, it might be too quickly to speak about it now before the minute is over but do you have any like crazy things we have to do pre-run exercises for two and a half hours like evan not two and a half hours that's pretty intense i wonder if there was like a drive in there and and, <laughs> and breakfast or something but yeah i mean um my pre-run exercise activation routine is more on the 10 to 15 minute side <laughs> which i think is the right approach <laughs> yeah it's like where you 
where you put in most of your time is in supplementary physio. Yeah. Just and that's often in the weight room. Mm-hmm. Um, so not just like general strength and conditioning, but you know, you're, you're the heel drop queen. Oh yeah, <laughs> getting those heel drops. So during the intermittence of uh, the podcast getting reloaded up on Zoom, Gabriella decided to make a crane. <laughs> one of a thousand. <laughs> so is it, does it have to be one a day? It can't be like 10 in one day or can it be? I've been making at least 10 in a day. I don't think there's a limit. I think, I think classically you're supposed to do it within a year. Um, but then I was thinking about how, how am I going to fold all these cranes while I'm traveling? So I kind of have to do it before I start traveling. So, which is why I've set my goal to be a thousand and a hundred days. <laughs> Cause that's before Christmas. <laughs> Anyways. But yeah, it's, it passes the time, which is fun. So is the end goal, do you get a wish at the end? Is that what you said? Is that? Yeah, I think it's like you get a wish or good luck. I can't remember. There's a technical, there's a technical term for it. Cause it's a, you know, a Japanese tradition. Um, there's a name for the thousand cranes. And uh, why did why did it start? Like, where did this originate from exactly? I need to look up the cultural significance, but I think cranes in Japanese culture are just generally good luck. They're Definitely. they're a symbol of they're a symbol of good luck, and obviously, like origami is a Japanese um, craft. And so I'm not really sure where the thousand canes, cranes came from. Um, so that's 1,000 origami cranes is Sen Bazuru. I don't speak Japanese, so apologies. And yeah, in Japanese, this is Wikipedia. In Japanese legend, a person who folds 1,000 cranes will be granted a wish by the gods. Uh, the thousand paper cranes are joined by a length of string. Some stories believe a person who folds such cranes is granted happiness and eternal good luck instead of just one wish, one wish such as long life or recovery from illness or injury. This makes them popular gifts for family and close friends. Yeah, so apparently the, the crane, the dragon, and the tortoise are all mystical or holy creatures. So It's easier to make a crane than it is to make a paper turtle. Yeah, although when I was a kid, I would like make all sorts of little origami um animals but uh yeah it's good fun it passes the time so that's what professional athletes you just have to fill your time as a professional athlete when you're recovering right oh i like your cat yeah i don't know why she's come up here she's clearly wanting something but uh <laughs> she she can <laughs> say hello and then she can get down off the table yeah <laughs> she's the neediest cat ever and she's unlike a cat because she's so like unagile like she can't jump anywhere she doesn't land <laughs> on all feet if you, if she jumps from somewhere she's an absolute joke of a cat but she's nice so they keep her around yeah she's all right apart from i'm allergic to cats as well which isn't ideal but it's worth <laughs> like it like me i love cats but i'm allergic so we're holding off getting one but i really want a cat so, so i wasn't allergic to dogs so the first night we got her she she was like a rescue cat so she slept like in my bed because she was like so scared she like, I, in the morning I woke up and she was underneath my quilt and I woke up and my face was just puffed. I was like, ah, okay, that's probably not going to work um, on a daily basis. So I kind of yeah. avoid her a bit, but she's quite nice for a cat. Seems like I feel like cats get a bad reputation of being like not very nice animals. So Yeah, I, I know. Nice. They're great. Yeah, um, generally I find, sorry for any shade at listeners who have an evil cat, but generally I find it 
there's an evil cat is because you didn't love it enough like mm. every cat my family's had we've just adored it and then it's adored us back mm-hmm. with the exception of the one we had when we were little kids so we were horrible to it mm. and it would be aloof and cautious around us because you know we're psychopathic kids we rescued a cat when i was little just found we found it in the hood of Rescu- the car rescues are different. yeah she was she, she was he or she actually yeah he he was kind of he was kind of crazy but um yeah i don't know i i like cats they're just like they're inoffensive i feel for the most part they just chill in your house don't require much little fluff balls yeah i don't know i like cats my sister's cat can play fetch my my sister's cat can play fetch <laughs> Louis. that's impressive my cat can't do anything like literally <laughs> She doesn't call, she doesn't come to a name. She, the only thing she comes for is when she sees a food packet in your hand and then she'll do exactly what you say for a very brief moment in time. But moving on from animals, because I feel like I could, my love for cats and dogs and all animals could probably fill the whole podcast. Um, I did want to touch on something before we get onto like, hopefully a little game show. If it's not too complicated with two guests, it might get a bit complicated. But before I get onto that and give anything away, I did want to speak about, um this season or the indoor season i guess because that's sort of you had a full indoor season where you went you went to worlds i just want to make sure i've got my facts right before yeah i did yeah, go you, worlds, yeah. and you did was it the 3000 or the 15 uh, or yeah both? i did the 3000 okay and you came fourth fourth okay Four. <laughs> so i don't want to rub anything in obviously we're saying you came fourth but you, yeah you came fourth which is possibly one of the worst positions to come in terms of satisfaction after the race mm-hmm. i guess but you were running i think and it might be good to hear your perspective or both of your perspective i thought you were going to win the worlds yeah. how are you feeling going into the worlds um having raced so well in previous races and like what was your thought process and also i guess um thoughts after placing fourth yeah i mean i definitely think that i had the fitness to win but I have a lot of respect for the women who were in the race because I run 1430 that indoor season, but the, there was three Ethiopians in the race. And I believe all of them had run sub 1430 over 5k. And, the, and hand, but she'd run 823 that year, with like a 61 last lap yeah. or last 400. And, you know, obviously that 1430, I closed in an 833K, so I could have gone a lot faster, but I, I very much knew that I think, I think I had the fitness to win, but going into the race, it was by no means, I guess I might've been the favorite to win, but I wasn't a clear head and shoulders favorite because, especially because of my inexperience at events over 1500 meters, like I hadn't raced a championship three anything in a championship over 3000 meters since university and even in university like it's just a different the races just evolve yeah. much more different differently it, it was your first time racing a non-rabbited event over the mile since when like indoor season 2017 mm-hmm. when yeah you won the the Canadian University 3000 meter yeah. championship which and, is a very different race yeah too. and North American track races as well just they have like a, a very different feel there's very much more you feel like 
there's a certain pecking order in a race, especially the longer races. And the person who has the best time usually is given the space to get to the front. Whereas, you know, in international or in Europe, in races, they don't care who you are. They'll just try to, everyone's fighting for no matter what place. So I knew for me, the limiting factor was going to be just my experience at that event. And so I knew I had the fitness, but especially indoors, it's very difficult to make moves. There is a, it is more dependent on, I don't want to say it's more dependent on luck, but it is more dependent on luck than like the outdoor track. Yeah. But obviously if you're experienced, you can, you can make your own luck, right? Like you can influence the race so that you have a more favorable outcome. Uh, but I didn't really know how to kind of set up my race in the most favorable way. It's one thing to know how to do it, or it's one thing to know what to do. And it's a very different thing to know how to do it. Um, and so I felt within the race, um, I also didn't expect it. So I led the first K and then the three Ethiopians took over. I think it was Dawit Sayam. Lem Lem Halu, and who's the third? Taye? Taye. Yeah. So those three took the lead, and I thought they were going to start pushing, but we ended up just starting to yo yo and run relatively the same pace. So I was not expecting that. And had I known that that was going to be what was going to happen, I would have maybe tried to hang on to the front a little bit more. So I just had a very limited understanding. Whereas, like, when I enter 1500, I have a pretty good understanding of like all the different ways it could go. Whereas the 3000, I kind of thought it was going to go one way. And then when it didn't, I mean, once it doesn't go one way, it's hard to like get back the control, but it is just very difficult when you're in that situation. And then I just was in a bad situation that I felt like I just couldn't get into a better position. So I just felt very out of control of my fate in the race. Um, and then our last 800 meters was like a, two, what was it in the end? Our last 800 was like a, ran like a fucking 204. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know if this is a sweary podcast. <laughs> but like, it is now. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, like a 204. I think you did like a 205. I think I ran a like 205. Yeah. Like I remember seeing like some people like, oh, like where was like Gabriella's kick? kick? I'm like, bro, you closed the 3K in, yeah at a very fast pace mm-hmm. and like the last lap was still like still like a, like a 31 a, like a something. 31 zero for you so in the last lap i had i had nothing left it's because and also at 205 there was a lot of running on the outside trying to get by people and that's why i say like with positioning and luck in the indoor track it matters a lot more if you just happen to be in the front now if you put yourself in the front then that's like strategy but I just, yeah, like I just couldn't get to the front and then you only have 50 meters and straight away to make a move. But obviously at that level, everybody's going to match your, your change of pace. Right. Um, so yeah, I just like, I didn't get lucky and I didn't really know how to get myself in a, an appropriate position. Once I realized I had fucked up by letting the lead go and getting too far back. Um, yeah. So it was just, and then the last 200 meters there was like I there was one point like at 200 to go where I was making my move and then Ellie kind of like she didn't push me out of the way but she like went really aggressively around me and I was tentative and I and that, that's the moment that I feel like I she was, not right. she, was ahead of you. she was ahead of me yeah 
but she was, we were both making a move at the same time. And she was, I was more tentative in making the move because it was on the curve. So I was uncertain about myself and she just went for it. And that aggression kind of made me hesitate. And then I was like, okay, now I'm going to wait till like 150 to go. So I'm not on the curve because then she pushed me out into like lane, like outside of lane two. So that I, so that tentativeness cost me the race. And so that was really heartbreaking afterwards, knowing that like, that's the moment that I don't know if that would have like get, got me the win, but it definitely cost me a medal, I think, because I just like, that was my move. And, in, and, you hesitated. and I hesitated. And when you hesitate, like you, if you, if you use half your move, you don't get the rest of it back. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's gone in a race. So like, that was it. And then I was gassed. So yeah, that was kind of like looking back strategy. And there's other things strategy wise that I could have done in the race, but definitely that moment of hesitation, that was it. And that was really heartbreaking, but I think it was an important lesson for me to learn especially in a, in a longer, in a longer race, you think you might have more moves, like the shorter the race, the fewer moves you can use. But in the, in the, in a, in a longer race, I think it's, it's an important lesson to learn to just like not hesitate. Um, but it was a good experience too, because it was the first time that I was the favorite going in, maybe one of the favorites. And then I like, didn't even get a medal. And I think it was important for me to have that experience of, having a bit of pressure and then not living up to the expectation and that I'm okay. Right. Um, I, I also think there was not just on our part, but on everyone's part, some very short memories when it came to Lemlum Pilot. Yeah. So, yeah. Le- so Lemlum has run two indoor 3000s in 2022 and 2021. In 2022, she closes like an 839 or 838 once she ran in the end in a two of four mm-hmm. right to win world indoor gold the year before she beat safan hassan front from the front in a 3000 and that's 2021 safan hassan right mm-hmm. so it's like she's more known for the shorter stuff but she's an absolute weapon in the 3000 especially if you don't make it all out um so like yeah i know that we were like most worried I think about Sam because she mm-hmm. had had that really good 3000 but Halu hadn't raced yet yeah um, and she came to play that day and then I was like yeah it was a bit of a um, your run up to those to the 3000 and the 5000 in New York and Boston mm-hmm. was like you came right down from altitude and mm-hmm. like it was all like kind of according to plan but then after that 5000 you like no kidding you ran an 8.33 and then a 14.30 in six days in two different states mm-hmm. um, and then went right back up to altitude mm-hmm. and it was like that move back up to altitude didn't go well mm-hmm. like that was kind of you'd spent your altitude tokens yeah <laughs> your body was like no nope, we're done with this so then you had to like come down from altitude early mm-hmm. so then it was like yeah trying to figure out like okay should we stay at altitude should we not stay at altitude and like we definitely went off script yeah like there's a plan for the indoor season that we're following and then we were kind of just making up as we went along um for like the end of february and then march and run up and then it's like the rest of bc all went and did their ten thousand stuff so you were just kind of by yourself in portland as well 
so I think that also like kind of took us out of stride Mm -hmm. a little bit and the focus was physically I was definitely feeling better when I ran the 833 and the 1430 earlier in the season I think by the time worlds came around yeah I mean it's good to experiment with altitude to see what you know the indoor season it's like kind of stakes but every everyone cares most about the outdoor season so it's a good time to experiment um and it's a good time to like learn really hard lessons like out of world championships uh I think it's extremely valuable in that regard. yeah because it's kind of like it's stakes but it's not too much you know like it's because like you, I don't know if you remember that race but for your listeners and viewers like that was a crazy race it was 21 22 women I on cannot, an indoor track I like, cannot believe they put 21 women on an indoor track like that was honestly I didn't want to say anything in the time because I didn't do well so it's like I didn't want to come across as somebody who is being a sore loser but it's like it's mind-boggling that they had two heats to finals for the men but not for the women. And then not for the women. And they just threw 21 people on the track at the same time. Like the maximum usually at a championships would be like 12. 12. So they put almost double that. So I mean, a little bit of shade to world athletics for doing that. It's like, I don't want to call sexism, but it's kind of like, what were you thinking? Yeah, that, that, that was weird. <laughs> so um, that was not, yeah, that was kind of crazy. But I think you got so much to learn because on an indoor track, the three fantastic, again, like academic. So we've talked about Sam, we've talked about Hailu. Tae's run like 14, 13, 14, 14. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she's she's in the wrong era. And obviously, know? Ali's an absolute weapon then, too. So. Ali's a weapon. And so it's like, yeah, when you've got three Ethiopians pack running mm-hmm. and like deliberately like shutting you off, pumping on the brakes, yeah, jostling you around on an indoor track mm-hmm. with like tons of bodies, like that is an extremely good baptism of fire for hey yeah. welcome to championship running and the distances yeah it's very different so, so I, th- I think i can throw some more shade more clickbait but like people <laughs> who skip world indoors because uh, they want to focus on like you know other championships it's like you are missing out on the chance to go toe-to-toe with the people you will be running against eventually anyway in really tough and adaptive circumstances mm-hmm. So like you have to learn a lot about yourself. And um, a lot about your weaknesses because any weaknesses you have are amplified to the maximum. You yeah. know, like the whole, yeah, like the whole team strategy element. It's like that is so different from the 1500. Um, and being on the receiving end of jostling and, and all those things. Like the indoor track really exposes your weaknesses in a way that you can hide a bit more in the, on the outdoor track. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was a great, it was definitely like a great experience for me to have. And I think it made me a much better runner. And I could, and you could see that in my outdoor 1500s um, at Sound Running and at Prefontaine. I just, there was, a, there was a decisiveness in my racing that I'm not sure would have been there had I not had that experience at World Indoors. We went so. into both races with much clearer plans mm-hmm. and flexibility as to excuse me about what to do yeah as a result of that experience mm-hmm. anyways so yeah that's a long answer to your question <laughs> as i've just been saying i'm thinking about like the the amount of stacked women there is at the minute in the 15 and 5k like because mm-hmm. everyone always again you probably talk bring sexism into it as well but like everyone always talks about how the men's 15 is crazy at the minute but yeah in reality in the women's 15 you've got someone who can break the world record in mm-hmm. Faith Kibiegon, you've probably got someone else who could maybe break the world record with Gudaf to Sege. Mm-hmm. And then you've got 
how many like continental record holders like you've got you've got Muir, you've got Jessica Hall who's just broke the Australasian is it Australasian or is it just Oceana yeah yeah. and then like there's so many runners in the 15 who ran sub four when five Mm -hmm. years ago and you know you could probably say super spikes a tiny bit but that's a different conversation five (laughs) years ago sub four was like always guaranteed to win your medals pretty much Mm -hmm. and now it's like you might not even make the final if you don't run sub four and like in the men's side obviously we see Jakob and we see like Jake and and there's like a lot of Europeans who are doing really well which is maybe why they like there's more attention because it's like normally it's just East Africans doing really well but it's like there's someone who can break the world record when the men's there probably isn't someone who can break the world record just quite yet like Jakob's sort of close but probably no one as close as Faith is and you've got people who actually can beat them. Like, it just seems there's so much so much more, like, unpredictable in the women's at the minute. And then in the 5K, you've got the world record holder mm-hmm. who... Did I, um, did I, she, she didn't even get a medal at all in the 5K, did she? Not, not this year. She came sixth or fifth, fifth or sixth. Gudai confuses me so much because I see her as a, as a person who doesn't have a kick. And then the 10K, she closes in a 60-second last lap at the end oh, of the 10. Good A confuses you. You said good F confuses yeah. you. But that's another thing that confuses me. Good A. Good A. Good A. Whichever one. I, I, I would have said her first name, but I, I always struggle saying Len, Len, Len. See, I can't even say it now. Um, but I always <laughs> see her as someone who's... Yeah, that's it. That's, that's spot on. Um, I, whenever there's a YouTube video, I can never say her name. I always say Gidai, and then everyone's like, "Why are you speaking Australian and stuff like that?" But <laughs> I always see her slow, obviously, because I mean, a half marathon's probably the most impressive world record ever. But like, mm-hmm. she closes in a sixty, and I think that last K was a two forty at the end of a ten K in wow. Worlds, and then she's around fourteen oh six or something. So then it's like, how isn't she winning the 5K as well? Like, she seems too good. But that just kind of shows the caliber of the women's um, distance run at the minute because Jakob won the 5K very straightforward. Like, it was easy. Where in the women's, if you're not, like, on your ball, like, on your game, then you could come 10th. Mm-hmm. And, it's like, I mean, everyone thought, like, Neon Saba or, like, Hassan as well would be, like, always dominating when that doesn't really happen at all. Like, sometimes Neon Saba is, like, fifth. And Hassan's like sixth, seventh. And in the men's side, you're not really getting that at the minute. It's always Jakob first or mm-hmm. second if he has a bad race. And then it's like you can always predict everything else. So I feel like the women's distance running isn't really getting as much credit as it should be right now, in my yeah. opinion. I, th- I think with the whole uh, people just going fast because of the spike thing, I think what makes the women's 1500 in particular is impressive. Is to particularly highlight Faith, Gudas, Laura, and Safan. Is okay, sure, whatever they've got spikes. So if you want to say that Faith three fifty point three is really a three fifty, you know, subtract whatever arbitrary amount of seconds for the spikes. I feel like in the fifteen hundred, sorry to interrupt yeah. briefly. The fifteen hundred with the spikes, the biggest benefit is the recovery between rounds. I, um, I don't think it takes as much out of your calves, whereas before you would have spikes that were just as aggressive but at the expense of like torching your legs and your calves mm-hmm. so i think for for the 1500 i think you maybe don't get as much maybe you get like a second 
but I think the biggest thing is like, yeah, be more recovered for the final at a world championship. Sorry. But, but even if you just want to, yeah, so whatever it's that they make you faster. Mm-hmm. They're all running in the same shoes in that, in that final in Eugene. Yeah. They all have the same shoes and Faith is beating like American champions by nearly 10 seconds mm-hmm. with no rep. Like that is insane like what they are doing how good they are relative yeah, to the rest true. of the field is mind-boggling um like you could see the like the the gap after just five six hundred meters um yeah and i think like that's the thing too like we've got so many continental record holders like yeah you got the fastest kenyan of all time you've got the second fastest ethiopian of all time you've got the fastest brit of all time and you've got the european record holder um to all these great track and field hotbeds and you've got the best women who have ever lived in the 1500s because yeah, you didn't mention Safam when she hasn't run one this year but you know she beat Faith last year in Florence mm-hmm. um, that, that's so hard to beat those four like they are on such another level um, and yeah I think that it I- should get a bit more attention to like mm-hmm. you guys realize this is the golden age this is like we have this is the women's 1500 equivalent of rafa Djokovic, and federer mm-hmm. all being around at the same time because like when those four retire yeah like you know gabriella's gonna want to step up but faith is only like one year old i'm like Gabriella, right? who, who am i in tennis i'm like the andy is it andy murray yeah it's brian smith andy murray i'm the andy murray of the women's 1500 where it's like if i have a really good race a really good year I can hang, but and that's what I'm. I'm busting my ass to try to hang. Yeah, trying to get that, that first title, like and yeah. you did in whenever in 2013. But yeah, when those guys retire, they'll leave a huge void. There's going to be sure. a big gap, and I remember like watching. Uh, who was it? Who won a race in 3:57? Was it here at Mesheshe? Mm-hmm. Won in 3:57. One of the commentators said, "Not blazingly quick." And 357 so most years <laughs> would be the, of, the best the last time decade would be a world lead. Like there were some years where the world lead didn't break four flat. Yeah. And like again, like you were running four flat and old spikes in 2019, mm-hmm. like and not winning races and not yeah. podium in races. Yeah. So it's like no, like the women's 1500 has moved forward. Spikes, no spikes, 100. percent It is a, an event that is really pushing the boundaries yeah. boundaries of what's being done and i think that goes to like that goes for the women's events over 1500 as well because like women's middle distance and distance running relatively speaking is quite young right like the steeplechase was only added as an olympic event in like the 2000s i think mm-hmm. i can't remember exactly which year but it was post maybe so you know like the women have only like the athletics canada sports psychologist for the first half of her career was running the 800 penny 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 worthner was running the 800 because the 1500 was not women were not allowed to do the 1500 so you know and safan and i have talked about this where there are so many like world records and top times going down in in the women's in the women's middle distance and distance events right now and i think part of that is we're in a golden age right now especially in the women's 1500 but I think a big part of that too is like we're only just scratching the surface of how fast women can go in distance training, right? So I think that's just really exciting. I'm hoping that it just continues to press forward now that we, you know, yeah. 
<laughs> just like peeling back the the layers of you know sexism that we've received in the sport um so I think that's a huge that's a huge piece too it's like sure the spikes but also like yeah. women are have only been doing these events for not that long so because having those women to chase down is like now like okay so if you want a medal then you need to run three like you need to be capable of breaking 355 mm -hmm. and so now like we're setting our goals all right in training of like, okay so we're like okay you need to have the speed to break 354 and the aerobic strength to break 354 those are the goalposts that we have set and if these women particularly like if safan had lit up mm -hmm. everyone in doha with that 351 then like i think that was a that was a kind of sport changing performance totally because then faith stepped up her game gouda stepped up her game all thinking crap i've got to be able to fight yeah what she's putting down um, and so, and then we're trying to chase that. So everything is just being dragged forward. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit like the, uh, is it, what's the name? Sean Brosnan, the new Brew Park head coach. Yeah, of, sub 420 is not that good for a high school. Sub 420 is not fast for, the, for a high school boys miler. And it's like, yeah, you got to just like, okay, no, being sub four doesn't make you competitive. No, yeah. Um, Crazy. But it's good. It's really exciting. Um, yeah, then we're just seeing stuff like, I've told you before, I haven't mm -hmm. said this publicly, but it's like that when you ran that 1431 closing in an 830 and like a 425 last mile, you told me that before, like, that's not possible. Yeah. And that's, in, that's insane. Like, kidding me? Like, 830, like how many women have broken 830 this year? Mm -hmm. And you're saying you're going to do that at the end of a 3K and then still close in like a 61? Nah. Nah, and then that's the thing if i can do it and then, like, then like how many it? more women can do shit like that right like as i really feel like we're only kind of scratching the surface for what yeah women can do and that's only like events. the second year of doing high mileage and like, kind of focusing a bit more on the distance stuff so if you can do it mm -hmm. having raced a 3k six days prior hard and like being relatively inexperienced in the event then surely like other people can absolutely smash that so yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, not... I, go oh, ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I just wanted to jump in quickly just so I didn't forget what I was gonna say. Is yeah, go for it. I always hate it as well when people go, the spikes, that's why everyone's running quicker. Because yeah. I think I'm gonna use a few examples, but like good after Sege, um, indoors when she broke the world record, first of all, she paced it awfully, so she could have ran quicker. She ran in mm -hmm. Adidas, normal Adidas spikes, not even their super spikes now. They were normal Adidas spikes, and she hasn't ran quicker since. So now she's got super spikes, she's not run quicker. And that performance was the equivalent of 350 outdoors. And if she didn't pace it, that's probably the best 1500 meters ever ran in terms of how bad she paced it and how fast she could have run. But yeah. there's that. And obviously, and everyone's like, oh, why are they all wearing super spikes now if, it, if like they didn't help? People are also contractually obligated to wear super spikes. And also it does help with recovery. So that's why everyone's wearing them because why would you want beating up legs? But like also in the men's side, Jacob Kiplimo did a 10K. And obviously he's known as the half marathon world record holder and has been probably one of the best distance runners uh, at the minute and of all time. He did a 10K in some standard Nike spikes um, in Mambas when dragonflies are out. And he ran like 26.33 solo, closing in a 13.03. Wow. So he's still just as good without the spikes. So like everyone has like, Incre increase their level and improve their level without the spikes doing it. And you could say 
they definitely help in training. They make and they help you race more, hundred percent. But their their direct impact on race time, I'm still a bit unsure of, especially when you talk about running mechanics. I feel like you'd go very scientific about how much they actually help on race day solely. But it really frustrates me. So I just wanted to put that in there because everyone always says it's the spikes, but that doesn't explain why so many people are doing it. When before you'd go on the race line, especially in the women's, like you'd get, oh Hassan's going to win easily today. Or you'd have the barber's going to win easily today. Whereas now you don't have a clue who's going to win other than faith most mm-hmm. of the time. But yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, you're never sure anymore. Whereas before it was always dead set. So that's just rising. I, I can't remember the saying like a rising tide lifts all boats or something like that. Yeah. That's exactly. kind of the th- thing that's happening. Yeah. That's def- and that definitely happened in Doha. Like when I ran 356 in Doha, I was like, well, I think I'll be fitter at some point in my career, but I'm not sure I'll ever run faster because a race like that was just such an anomaly. It was such a, it was such a perfect opportunity. Like so many women are in that shape and never get to show it because they never get the race where they can just shut their brain off and just run. Um, and especially like when you're perfectly peaked at the highest, when you're racing for a medal, like you're just so dialed in and focused, but now it's like 355 races are like a dime a dozen, like they're happening all the time. So I'm like, Oh, this is great. Like, I think, right, not quite, but. I mean, they're happening a lot more than yes. like in 2019. If you told me like every year, there'll be a couple opportunities where you can run 355 and not win. I would have been like, mm, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. you know like I wouldn't have predicted that so not that they're a dime a dozen that's probably going a bit too far but it's like in 2020 in 2021 in 2022 it's like there are plenty of races where I could have pb if I like was in the shape and had the opportunity right which is yeah. why I, why I like this injury was so heartbreaking because I thought I was going to be in that shape um but yeah so like that's you know that's exciting yeah like Stefan threw that down and then people were like okay yeah that's that's the new standard and they rose to the occasion instead of just kind of going back to yeah, and what you said as well with like the super spikes comment, it's like, well, what are Faith, Safan, Laura, and Gudaf? How much further along are they in a race compared to the rest of us, right? Like that gap is not just the spikes because we're all in the same spikes. So yeah, who knows how much they actually help, but um, yeah, they're definitely great for training. And it's also kind of like, well, technology moves forward. Like it's okay. Like we don't have to, we don't have to race on cinder tracks for the rest of the, you know, <laughs> any technology that helps with injury prevention i feel like is a good thing so yeah. and, um, and they do and they do help with injury prevention because they're just less hard on your body um which i feel like is a huge performance benefit uh so yeah and people who whine about them it's just kind of like well is the race fun to watch that's all that matters you know just enjoy that so yeah anyways i also think from a sport what well, i wouldn't say necessarily struggles with well maybe in some senses in comparison like struggles with marketing things isn't it great that we have something where people actually like, oh, I want to buy that because it'll make me better. Like that's oh. just good for the sport because it's just earning more money. But like, can't remember the point I was exactly about to make, which is really frustrating because I had a very good point in my head. So let me see, oh, if, I, let me see if I can get it back in the next few seconds. Oh, good. No, I don't think so. Um, oh yeah, I do. So I always, I'm always a bit cautious when I want to say on videos, uh, injury prevention. Cause I feel like it's a very sensitive thing to say, because it's like, this will help you not get injured as much, but the spikes do do that. And mm-hmm. also I think training in super shoes does that. Or you could talk about some people don't really like carbon and shoes and makes the cards weird and stuff. But generally speaking, those spikes reduce injuries 
by a certain percentage. Training in super shoes reduces injuries by a certain percentage. And definitely like the, the Invincible, like the Nike Invincible to be specific, helps reduce injuries and improves recovery. Like they're facts. So I always feel cautious saying it, but that's kind of the world we're in now where the redu reduction of injuries and recovery benefit is probably having a more impact than anything else. 100%. And also clearly the abundance of threshold training everyone's doing now because of Jakob, but that's probably the secondary factor. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I mean, obviously you can't, you can't replace like strength work and physio work and all that stuff for injury prevention, but um and also you know like you have to make sure because with pronation and all that stuff like the spikes and the and the road shoes kind of highlight other areas where you have to make sure that you're preventing injury but yeah overwhelmingly they help reduce injury because you're not torching your calves as much and so yeah I mean I think it's great that you can like go do a half marathon and not have and be able to walk for the next week right <laughs> yeah. whereas before people would you know it just like totally destroys your body and that's just better for the sport to have people who can race more um and not risk injury so yeah i i enjoy that feature of them you mentioned how now everyone's become obsessed with tempo because of the ingebrigtsons mm. there's like the, the two things on that is like one is i think it was trent actually Guerrero's coach at the university of victoria uh, team training camp said if you want to know what the Bowman Track Club secret source is it's <clears throat> threshold it's like mm -hmm. doing a shit time my voice is starting to go yeah, yeah. it's doing a crap time of threshold work um, and then I don't have it handy but I have a spreadsheet where like I took the like a training week of the Ingebrigtsons and I mapped it out into like heart rate zones or like lactate zones BTC don't do lactate stuff, but like from Gabriella's heart rate information, I can kind of see more or less where like her lactate and heart rate zones will be. And one of her weeks from her full build, like dropped down 10% because Gabriella's a woman and not a man. And the Ingebrigtsen are not men. She's almost doing the exact same number of threshold minutes in a week as the Ingebrigtsens are when she was with BTC. Um, like almost the exact same, not every week, but they're like, there are some weeks where that training, there's a ton of threshold in that. Um, and they're doing it differently. Like where they're getting those minutes is different mm. at BTC to, uh, what the Ingebrigtsons are doing, but they like, do 15, 10, five, don't they? BTC. 15, 10, five. Yeah. 15 minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes. Well, it's like, Ooh. sometimes it's just, sometimes it's straight 10 miles. Oh, yeah. that's disgusting. <laughs> Sometimes it's just it is pretty disgusting. 10 miles, you know, 16K, just nonstop one go. Sometimes it'll be like mile, two mile, mile, two mile, whatever. Sometimes it'll be a long run where you're never really like hitting like threshold pace, but by slowly winding up and being on super hilly courses, your heart rate's going to go into tempo zone mm -hmm. like halfway through the run. And so like when you add up all those minutes in those zones, you get very similar results. And then again, like the Ingebrigtsons where they get their stuff, they get it, got it from Marius Barkin and or a lot of it from Barkin. And then where did Barkin get it? That was his attempt to kind of like codify and uh, streamline the training that he saw Kenyans doing when he was living in E10. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think when you look at like what lots of East African training groups are doing, when you look at what BCC is doing, when you look at what the Ingebrigtsons are doing, like, 
if you create Venn diagrams of their training, I do believe that at least for the base phase, you're going to see an overlap. I think a lot of differences in like how you transition into that race specific preparation phase, you'll see a lot more differences. But in terms of like, you know, what quality fuel we're putting in the engine or how we're building that engine, there's going to be a lot of similarities between all those groups. And I think you've now almost got Tank Laura is probably the only outlier <laughs> uh, on the uh, in the like women's fifteen hundred of like people yeah. at the top who they're all going to be training pretty similar. But yeah. I just thought that'd be I found that interesting. I remember sitting there in front of that because I'd be like, whoa, there you go, fascinating. There was a track nerd Rowan coming out. Yeah, have you? I, I'm going to have to nerd out a bit now. Have you read the paper on um, Marius Backen's paper about um, the threshold training? Yeah, the one on his blog. Yeah, yeah, the really long one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have. I, I want to. Uh, <laughs> Gerard's coaches used to live in Switzerland. They used to be based out of Lausanne, and so like they knew Marius from then. So I want to get into more conversations with Trent about all that stuff because you know he's a massive science nerd. So mm-hmm. um, he's an actual scientist. I'm a nerd. He's a professional nerd. <laughs> um, so yeah, I want to get into asking more questions about that sort of thing. Yeah, the last thing I'll say on it, because I will get carried away. Like, it's <laughs> interesting. Everyone always thinks threshold is four millimoles or what you could like. But the Ingebrigtsons and most people tend to do like 2.2 millimoles of lactate, which mm. is more sustainable than four millimoles of lactate, really. Obviously, it depends, again, on how your body produces lactate, because I was speaking to some Norwegians who said over time, if you do pinpoint thresholds like the Ingebrigtsons do with the lactate monitor like it will start creeping down very gradually at the same intensity like even if you're doing the same effort everything like in your body's reacting the same your, your lactate will be slightly lower so that's huh. something to but that's very specific like really mine's weird because I did a test and I just did what 2.4 millimoles of lactate was and my heart rate's 182 or 2.4 millimoles of lactate which I think is quite high but hmm. that's what I do because I'm I'm not forking out four five hundred pounds for a lactate tester and then buying all the the strips every single week because that's very expensive. I guess yeah. if you're Britson, you can afford to do that. But yeah, yeah, just yeah. I think it's the fact that four point All those studies had a larger um, the populations involved in the studies was broader and not or exclusively world-class athletes. So mm. my understanding is that numbers can be lower the better the individual, right. yeah. generally speaking. And very quickly, going back to that 10-mile threshold, <laughs> I wouldn't wish that upon my worst. If, if I'm not, if, if someone asked me to do 10-mile threshold tomorrow morning, I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, if I'm not <laughs> mentally prepared to do 10 miles of threshold, no way am I am I doing that, because that's, that's hard. And it's they, hard. They do it in like, we're talking October in Portland, Oregon right mm-hmm. okay it's, it's not it's, great it's, weather it's like 10 celsius 10 to 12 celsius although to be fair i'd rather rainy. do it in october than like the middle of summer sure in the heat, you know what i mean but like there's something just mentally sapping about i'd, yeah, I'd be on, i'd be on my bike behind them like on car duty because they do it on an open road and i've been making sure like okay you know truck behind and all that jazz and i'm cold and shivering and sore and miserable on the bike so i can't imagine how they're feeling just cranking to be fair i feel like i'd be more miserable on the bike than running (laughs) because you're like 
cold and you're not warming yeah, up. Yeah, hundred percent. But yeah, it's. I mean, that's when you have like the group. The group dynamic is very important to yeah. carry you through those ten mile tempos because it's far easier if you're leading every third mile to, you know, you're focused when you're leading on making sure you're hitting the pace. But if not, you're just focusing on the person ahead of you, not Same. getting yeah, yeah, just working away. Yeah. Also, exactly. I, f- I think the better you get, the worse tempos get because it's such an uncomfortable pace. Like mm-hmm. if you if you're so fast or so good at running tempos and thresholds are still fast and like mechanically mm-hmm. it's hard to like stay switched on so i can't mm-hmm. imagine doing it for so long especially when it's miserable that must be it's just not a very nice nice feeling <laughs> no but you know we're all masochists in the sport so there's a sick satisfaction you get out of it <laughs> yeah afterwards <laughs> it's always afterwards it's never during well i I wish I got it during, but it's definitely just afterwards. I'm happy I did that. Whereas during, it's just, I hate every second of it. To this Once day. you get over halfway for me, then you can start. Then I start feeling like every mile is bonus, you know? Because I'm, I'm always I'm like, pro- oh, go do at least eight. And then if I get to 10, sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, I just remember the time when Jerry's like, okay, well, have you do eight, eight G or seven or eight or whatever. And then he's like, he said, what did he say? Like, well, Centro did eight, so let's have you do eight. No, Centro did 10. Oh. Centro did 10 miles. And so you were like... And he's not usually, like the previous year, he wasn't a big tempo guy. And this new, in this fall, he was like a he new Centro. He was dialed in. He was like into the fall training. He was like going hard. And he did 10 miles. And I was like, if Centro did 10 miles, I have to do 10 miles. <laughs> <laughs> it was my, but I just went to eight first and then every was bonus but yeah it was good is a bit of an enigma when i was speaking to him he was like oh yeah i have six hours sleep a night and i'm i'm absolutely fine and i was like what he he was telling me that's why it's crazy he was like yeah i I can just get six hours every night and it's probably what i average and i feel great and i was like six hours if i had six hours a night i would be dead constantly Um, he's like an energizer bunny you know he's just like so much energy he's He's got. I wouldn't be able to survive. He's, fuel, he's fueled different. Like mm-hmm. you just seen the, the most peak central moment was like at the team Thanksgiving dinner last year. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And it was when Lucia and Andrea, Lucia Gabriella's sister and Andrea Sakafian, another Canadian, uh, five ten thousand half marathon gal, I just joined the group. I think they joined like two weeks before, mm-hmm. so this is like the first time having a conversation with Centro, and like. They're like, wow, is he like hammered? Like he's so crazy. And like, no, he has not had a drop of alcohol. He is just like always go, go, go. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's very high intensity. Just everything he does, he does all the way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I've I've heard quite a few stories about Centro, which I'm not going to get into because they're not very (laughs) podcast appropriate. But I've been in some group chats with him as well. And I'm like, what? How are you saying these things? But I can't, I can't say any of those on the podcast, unfortunately. Um, I, I do feel like... It... Go on, sorry. No, I just said you can't spill the beans. No, no, it's more I can't end his... Um, <laughs> I don't know, credit, not credibility. I don't know the word. I don't want to get him cancelled. It's not even cancelable, but I feel like in the running world, if you're not, if you're not exactly like very mundane, it's kind of like always frowned upon. So... Um, yeah, I feel like he, is, he gets a bit of a bad rap, Centro, since the whole Cole Hawker, your move thing. I feel kind oh of bad. Oh, my God. 
That was fantastic. I, I love that. And so like on that one, this is a great <laughs> opportunity for me to say this. So like during that time, we're in Utah, right? When your move happened. And like, he just run that awful, like, I don't know, like 150, 151, 152, 800 or whatever, where he got like beat by a Div 2 guy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like that awful 800, your move happens, whatever. And we're up in Utah. And it was like someone had flipped a switch in Centro. Mm-hmm. And he went from being like, ah, do I quit? I don't even care to just like, in the span of two weeks, he went from not being able to finish a workout to like dusting guys. And then another two weeks and another two weeks. And so like Jared have like, Gabriel and Centro have like these like 1500 specialist weeks where they like have three big workouts in five days. And so we'd be broken up from the rest of the group. And like I was helping pace some of Gabriel's workouts um, as best as I could. And you just see like Centro like tick up, up, up each week as he got more and more dialed in. He was still like his old jokey self, mm-hmm. but my hot take and, you know, Centro, you can disagree with me if you ever hear this or not. <laughs> I'm like, if your move hadn't happened, I don't know whether he, like, I swear, like that, that hatred, well, not hatred, but like that desire to prove like- He loves that. proving people wrong. He loves proving people wrong. So if he hadn't got so much hate, not just from like the U of O guys, but like if he had just got so much hate from the wider running community and so many people writing him off, I don't know if that doesn't fuel him to just push harder. Mm-hmm. Um, if people are like, oh no, he's great. He got his Olympic gold medal. He's got nothing to prove. He might be like, yeah, I've got nothing to prove. Yeah. But like he wanted to show that he still had it. No, no, that was really, that was super cool to watch Gabriella dial in and Centro dial in at the same time. I'm just like, I'm just front row seat watching these two like do crazy stuff on the track. It was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. He also yeah. loves altitude. So he loves Park City. Loves specifically. Park City. Yeah. Doesn't like flag stuff, loves Park City. Oh okay. There you go. Yeah. Which no. I feel <laughs> I've never had a good experience. Oh, flag <laughs> I, I've been I've been flag stuff twice. First time I went anemic, second time uh, I injured my knee. Yeah. So I'm never going back. <laughs> well we'll see (laughs) you might be going back um anyways yeah no it was it's it's good fun like there's so many good personalities at btc that it was good fun to get to know people and see what makes them tick so yeah anyways game show game show yeah that is the next that is the next thing on the list we got sidetracked again Um, again we could honestly probably talk for hours about just track this is why we started our own podcast yeah (laughs) Because we're just too busy derailing everyone else's podcast. <laughs> yeah, you have these conversations are like off air, and you're like, we should probably start getting paid for saying these things or something like that down the line. Hundred percent. Like the podcast idea came because we're just having like Mohamed lived in our the same same building as us in Portland, and he'd come over for dinner, and like five hours later, like he'd come over at five or six, and he'd be leaving at eleven, and we've just been talking track the whole the, time, the entire time. Again, like Lucia came over, and she was like do you do this every like whenever you have dinner I'm like yeah pretty much pretty much <laughs> when you guys live together in utah like did you just only talk about track i'm like yeah we talked about the euros when they were on but yeah a lot of track <laughs> so we're just like you know we should just air some of our conversations yeah. every now and then right i need to get a point system for this game show it might not even work because it was a bit of a rogue idea and i don't know how it's like in person it probably works better but 
I'll quickly explain the rules. So you're both against each other, which is unfortunate because yeah. you both spoke about your competitive nature Uh-oh. previously. Um, <laughs> and the game is, have you ever heard of, um, it's, I'm not sure if it's in the US, there's something called Mr. and Mrs. where it's like someone gets put in a room where you can't hear and then some, and then one in the relationship says, uh, answers some questions and then the other person comes in and goes, these are the answers and then they see if they can match and you get a point for each of the matches. Obviously, oh. we're not going to do that because you're next to each other. And I can't really get one of you to put noise cancelling headphones on and not hear. So I'm going to trust your honesty to if the person is correct or incorrect. So just know that you're only cheating yourself if you do decide to cheat to get extra points. I know that you're both competitive, <laughs> um, but I just hope that you don't do that. And how this is going to work wow. is I'm going to ask a question and you're both going to think about it without answering it. And then I'll go... Um, and then Gabrielle, you have to like say if you go first, you have to answer what you think Rowan's answer would be. Okay. And then he and then he gives his answer. And then if you get that right, you get a point. And then it's vice versa. So again, don't cheat. I would get you to write them down, but that would take too long. So we're gonna go through it because there's quite a few. So hopefully we can go through it quite quickly. Cool. And I I was I was a bit tentative to put this one on because I know one of you is a more serious one than the other, but I've got it anyway. And that is your favorite workout. So, or a genre of workout, let's say. Okay. Cool. Well, yeah. I don't know what your favorite workout would be, to be honest. Yeah. I have All no right. clue, to be honest. Do you want to go first? Because I don't really so know. My, not your favorite, but one of your favorites, 20 by 200. There you go. And variations thereof. You win. <laughs> I, I knew that you knew that. I knew that you knew the answer. Um, I don't know your favorite workout. As I would. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. Don't answer the question. Um, my guess would be like a VO two max kind of workout, something like five by a K, because I think you get a real kick out of doing it on pace and then and then cutting it down um, and then going faster than maybe you thought you would have. Like when, when there's a workout like that, that you exceed expectations, I think that's, I think that's your favorite. That would be my answer. Is that not your answer? No. <laughs> What's your answer? That would be, I don't like those ones. Oh, really? Yeah. Like You always seem the most satisfied after that. Because though. I don't like them. So mm. I'm satisfied because they're the ones that I hate the most. So if I do them well, then I'm like, ah, I didn't blow up and destroy myself i mean but, i feel like i only have three guesses can i kind of okay, guess again yeah, yeah. um so my second guess would be i feel like you like tempo do you like tempo that'd be my second favorite yeah. okay there we go <laughs> your second favorite okay i should have gone with speed first whatever I, I, it is what it is I, yeah I like, like 300s just so much right. fun and, and i think my favorite workout of all time that i've ever done was when I did just a 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, mm. 500, 400, 300, 200, 100. Um, but doing 300s with this one as coach, just like PB through 200, PB through 200, then die. No, I like PB through 100, then die. And you did that, and then you ran like 12 I, something. I did like 12, 7 through 100. Yeah. And then that's good. 
it just like adds like two three seconds per 100 for the rest of it and dies like a 46 or something like that that's yeah fun. i love 300s, and 300s all right i suck at that question oh well moving on <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm not going to tell you the scores until the end but so don't keep track for dramatic effect and i guess anyone who's listening as well uh you probably will keep track but if you don't want to for dramatic effect at the end don't keep track no one's winning. <laughs> next question is favorite music or you could say musical artist or a specific song if there's that specific but i'd, I'd give points for both i've got to think about this it's tough because you got to think about the other person then you've got to think about your own answer mm-hmm. too true <sighs> your current favorite or your all-time yeah, let's go with like oh i don't even know what my current favorite is though we no, can go not, let's just do all-time we can do uh that's even harder i don't know what do we do I, I think it's fine to say, like, hit something within, like, the inner circle. Yeah, like, you know, a ball like, like the God tier, like, what are our S tier? Yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, I'll go. I think one of your favorite artists is Taylor Swift. And there you go. Yeah. That's, that's, pretty, that's a pretty safe answer. Mm-hmm. Okay, there you go. And I'll say that your biggest earworm right now would be Glass Animals. And you were basically singing Space Goes Coast to Coast nonstop yesterday. You started it. You started singing it at the beginning of the day and then it got into my head. Anyways, yeah, I have a habit of like always humming. There's always a song stuck in my head. It's like Radio Gabriella is a 24-7 radio station. <laughs> you just, just got to turn the volume up sometimes. Yeah, so usually if you're around me, you'll, you'll know which whatever song is stuck in my head because I'm humming it to myself. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, you, you love that album. It's mm, a good album. That's the exact reason why I deleted TikTok because it was just constant TikTok songs of me just randomly. Um, well, actually, I'm going to tell a story. Not that anyone is like knows this story, but I feel like if it's, if it's a podcast, I, I have the time to talk about it because it's a long form piece of content. Um, <laughs> there's my friend's got a dad who's a famous musician. He was in a band called the Pasadenas, which is quite okay. quite a few years ago. But I always sing one specific song of theirs day to day, like even like do you like when you do it sometimes do it like comedically like something happens and you just start singing the song so that was a song I always started singing and then one day his dad who I'd never met before because we don't live close to each other so I, I probably hadn't tuned into my head that I need to be careful around him his dad was stood next to me maybe five meters away never spoken to him in my life and I was having a chat with my girlfriend and I knew that his dad was five meters away but because I'm so subconsciously always doing this song I just started singing his song when he was banged next to me. Didn't see his reaction. Didn't speak to him ever again. I've never spoken to him. I just went up to my friend after and just said, apologize if your dad, because it'd be quite awkward if you like, you went up to a singer and just started singing their song. Like, that'd be awful. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was like, I was always having it in my head. And then now I kind of don't want to listen to music ever again because it's haunted me. Like just embarrassment I I received from singing his song so um, confidently while he was stood next to me having a conversation with three other people. So that's amazing. Yeah, it was it I was hope, awful. I hope he was flattered. Well, I don't know. I maybe never know because I've never, never spoken to him. Um, <laughs> top three worst moments of my life, though. That so. Oh man. Next question is. Um, favorite movie slash tv series i did have these as separate but i felt like that was too i could not pick my favorite movie of all time so i thought i'd split it and then 
you kind of have a broader guess, essentially. I know your favorite movie. Mm-hmm. I know a couple movies that you like. This is easier for me than it is for you because it's so definitive for me. It is so definitive for you. Um, I always confuse. All right, your favorite, your favorite movie or movies is The Lord of the Rings. I knew yeah. you were going to say that. I don't know why. I knew you were going to say that. Oh, nice. Yeah. I like that our our personalities. This is the first time we spoke. We already know that that would be his answer. <laughs> Ron's um, a big Tolkien fan. Mm-hmm. You're big in. You like. Actually, sound screen. Yeah, sorry. I'm just thinking. So <laughs> going more this way. <laughs> um. What's it called? Arrival, First Contact, along with Jodie Foster. Do you like that one? You've mentioned that quite a few times. Yeah. That. That um, uh, I still have to think that's probably my which one is that? Confusing names. Contact. Contact. Yeah, Jodie Foster. Yeah. And then she, yeah, she's funny. She's got that great interview where mm-hmm. she was a like child star, like, oh, like oh, teenage yeah. star, and she gets this interview of like where she's asked like, "What's what kind of boy? Like, what does she look for in a boy?" But like, and so you see in this interview, she kind of like looks away from the camera, like smiles, and then like says oh I don't really have a type that I look for in boys you know and the joke is like I'm pretty sure she's she's gay she's yeah gay. she wasn't out for a very long time so she wasn't out so she's I think at that moment she she or she, not that moment but she known that she was gay at that point so just the, but she wasn't out the laugh in the face of like <laughs> if only you knew <laughs> yeah so gay icon Jodie Foster yeah yeah good answer okay cool the other top one I would say I also love both the rings mm-hmm. um and the other one I would say is Interstellar. Those mm-hmm. three. That's a good top three. Mm-hmm. Interstellar is a very good film. It's very, very good, good. Have you seen it in IMAX? I've, I saw it in just the standard cinema, I think. But That's it's hot light. The cinema's in the UK at the minute are just uncomfortably loud. Like, this, mm-hmm. they have the sound turned way too high. So it's kind of an awful experience when you get to the cinema. <laughs> Oh, dear. I've only seen it in IMAX and I have sworn to myself I will only see it in IMAX so I saw it when it first came out mm-hmm. and then Gabriel and I went it replayed at an IMAX in Toronto a couple of years ago we went on a date and it's great it's, so it's just the size of it the size of Interstellar really benefits from just that the intensity that IMAX brings mm-hmm. totally yeah. next question this is quite of a, a easier one I hope and that is favorite color. One, two, three. Green. Green. Oh. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> both, both love green. <laughs> Simple. See that that was um, what was the saying? We we didn't have to. That was microwaving an answer, where we got it very quickly and said. <laughs> Next one is so. This is I need to explain this one. It's hottest athletics take, as in what is their most outspoken or their hottest opinion on track and field? Oh, I've got quite a few. Really? For me? Oh, I'm thinking No, because it's, so, it's... I know, but, like, I need to decide what my hottest take is. I think if I just hit one of your hottest takes, I think that's good enough. Okay. I don't even know. I'm just... Every day there's a new one for me. I know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't... It's hard to keep track of. Okay, I'm trying to think about yours. I'm going to go on our previous Instagram DMs to see if I can guess Rowan's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're hot. This is not hot, but like, 
did Jake Whiteman end up beating Shelly Ann in the freaking poll? No. Okay, thank God. <laughs> no, shade did. To Jake no shade to Jake Whiteman, but like she just had like arguably the greatest 100 meter season of all time, or one of. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't. I okay. I really don't know for you. I, I've got I've got a hot take for you. I don't know. This probably isn't your hottest, and it didn't originate with you. But I've got something that will resonate with you. I think. I might have to forfeit this round to be honest. I'm like blanking because I'm also like, what can I say that can be said on air? <laughs> well, you can take that risk, and if you want to edit it out, you can always have it edited out. So if if anyone hears a beep at any point or a cut, know that the hot yes, take <laughs> Okay, do you want to go do you want to go first what your hot take is? I'm just having a hard I'm drawing a blank. To be honest. I've already found two of your takes which aren't hot though, they're just normal takes, so I can't really call them hot takes. The other thing is obviously I'm going to think my hot takes are actually quite lukewarm because they're going to be reasonable because I think they're right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, right. True. Do you, you want to know a take card that I've got for you? Not your definitive hot take, but a hot take that I believe you subscribe to. Yeah, sure. The mile is sexist. The mile is sexist. Particularly America's glorification of the mile yeah. is sexist. Yeah, I'd say I'd say that's a fair hot take. That's a shout out to Sheila Reed. Sheila Reed, my hero. Shout out to Sheila. <laughs> uh, is that because like, no one is that because no one cares about sub four thirty or is it is yeah. it like yeah? Well, because sub four thirty is like four thirty two, isn't it? It's, it's, it's harder to do. It's harder to do than four flat. And so the result is, okay, you've got however many boys ran sub four this year, like eight? No, I don't fucking know. Like mm-hmm. tons of high school boys mm-hmm. ran broke four in the past few years. You've had like two break 430 on the women's side in the past few years, um, or break 432. Like heck, you can go NCAA seasons where like one or two people break 432, mm-hmm. but you don't have, um, again, it's because, it's and here you go, like, Google Trent Selingworth for this one. <laughs> women, I knew you were going to get to this. <laughs> women develop on a different timeline to men, right? So 432 is an equivalent to a four flat at the elite level. Mm-hmm. But because women peak later, having that be the bar for high school, I don't think is makes realistic. Sense. And so, yeah, I think you're just going to get a lot of women burnt out if that's like the, yeah. the bar. And that's, you don't want to push women. Like uh, Laura Muir's PB, I think in high school is four forty eight. Possibly, yeah. You know, but then she like gets in a professional environment at university, and right. then like just is such a after a few years is running four flat. Anyway, so it's, it's not so, that like the mile was sexist; it's that the idea that the glorification of the mile and like the sub four mile and all that. The, the sub four mile as a high school thing, or like yeah, is an obsession with it is grounded in excitement over. The boys end of the sport more so than the women end of the sport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's some that's hot thing you can describe to. Mm-hmm. And then I think, oh shit, I forgot what my what your hot take. Oh, was. my hot take is. I mean, can I say one of your hot takes? Sure. It's related to this, so I feel like it's kind of cheating, but it's like glorifying, glorifying young athletes' performance, like especially high school and under, is problematic. Yeah is one of your hot takes like because because of the issue of burnout and overtraining and it encouraging young athletes especially women again because of like how women develop differently through puberty and beyond of having an unrealistic expectation of what they should be doing at the high school level um and then 
basing that, like if they don't achieve this level of success in high school, then um, them internalizing Being the idea failure. that they're a failure and they're never going to do anything. Like I said, Laura Muir was running 448 in high school. I ran like 422 in the 1500 was like my best time, which is still very good, but it's not like 410. And now I'm like one of the best 1500 meter runners in history. So it's like, um, yeah, yeah. It's glorifying young performances is just unsustainable and problematic. And even if, if you watch like the whole, if you watch like Team Ingebrigtsen, so even though Jakob was hyped up as a phenom, mm-hmm. you see numerous times where he acknowledges himself and his dad talks about how like we recognize him being so good now is quite possibly going to shorten his career. Mm-hmm. Like his prime isn't going to be 24 to 20, might not be 24, 25, like most guys it is. Like he's spending some of that talent now. Mm-hmm. And then that's another thing like, he might not be able to last till he's 30 because he's been so yeah. good from such a young age. And and also just like the mental intensity of it. And like, I didn't want to bring up specifics, but like there was an article that I saw fairly recently about like a young kid, like a very young kid who ran a very impressive time and like way ahead of their years. And the big fanfares made about it. And I look at the pictures and like this kid, it, you just look at like, they're so rail thin. Mm-hmm. They've got like, they have like the lean mass of someone 10 years older than them. And you're like, freak man. Don't do it. Don't do it. And yeah, I, I just, you just gotta be careful with you phenoms. Like be excited about them. Like it's fine to like be excited, but like just, there is a lot of toxicity around it mm-hmm. that I think. There's an obsession over it. And then, cause then people want to see them fail, right? It's like Caitlin Tui, so many people got excited mm. when she started to get injured in university. And then she so then she bounces back. Yeah. But like so often those those stars don't bounce back like she has. And I'm really glad that she like had that great season last year. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's like they these kids get built up just mm-hmm. for the satisfaction of knocking them down. Yeah. Um and like, yeah, how many you look at that top ten high school all time list in the US in like the mile or the 3k or 5k like compare that to the men's all-time list as well that's mm-hmm. another thing and that ties back into the whole mile yeah and the uh, yeah. women project what, what we're on i feel like the same though so many of us top 10 did not go on to have successful pro careers in the on women's the women's on the women's side on the men's side there's more of a lineup the young men or the young boys who are phenoms transition to pro more easily whereas the women tend to just yeah. not allow their bodies to develop properly and then get into bone issues and injury issues and unhealthy cycles um yeah so there's not as much of a correlation between high school performance and pro um but yeah that's your hot take do you want another hot take well, the hot take i had in my head that we're counting down again yeah so. <laughs> can i quickly guess the hot take you had in your head it might not be oh, sure i don't think we'll the olympics is bad for the sport Ooh. Yeah, that, 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 that is that would be a hot take that I subscribe to. <laughs> um, it's particularly bad for the athletes, right? Mm-hmm. Because so the number one money making opportunity and fame making opportunity, the point where athletes have all eyes on them, unlike any other point in their careers, they have zero control over their own image. They have zero control over like anything. And there's really. so many restrictions over how they can make money off of it. Yeah. So you can. Is it rule forty? Was it rule fifty? <sighs> 
I can't remember which rule. You know, like a rule 40 or rule 50, whichever it is, advertising rules from the IOC, super restrictive. Um, and also the fact that World Athletics have no control over it or very little control over it. So if, you know. Like at the World Championships, World Athletics gives out prize money for placing, but at the Olympics, they can't. Because they don't have access to those revenue streams. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if Mr. Co wants to like do something innovative and really like build off it, like he's got no control over the, the Olympics. So like mm-hmm. he wants to put cross country in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. He, he has very little control over that for example. Um, the other one I was going to say was that I think a hot take would be that the top of the sport is actually cleaner from an anti-doping point of view than a lot of fans would think. Mm. Um, again, I, yeah, again, I would agree with that. Well, it depends on what kind of fan you're talking about. You don't, yeah, you, you don't know. But it's, it's not... Um, so I feel like a lot of people still think, ah, oh, it's just like cycling in the 2000s. But mm-hmm. I think the sport has changed a lot in the last decade. Mm-hmm. I think the introduction of the blood passport the blood passports. was huge mm. to clean up the sport. Yeah, like I think the sport's the cleanest it's ever been, for sure. Yes. Um, and apparently, I thought this already existed, but apparently they're working on developing a hormone passport. passport. Mm. Um, I'm stoked for that. Which will be exciting to see. Uh, I thought that already existed, but I guess blood passport is to do with your like EPO. Oh, your EPO um, and then a hormone would be you know like to try to get to stamp out like microdosing of whatever like testosterone or so yeah th- those are my smattering of my hot takes yeah good hot takes <laughs> so the final score there was a few more questions but we only have two minutes and 50 seconds <laughs> left and we can't call for a fourth time because that means we're going into 160 minutes worth of podcast time <laughs> Um, yeah, Ro- Rowan wins by one, unfortunately. Ah, um, uh, the first round. That's so, pretty good. It just means I win. So that's a pretty good thing to win. Pretty good. <laughs> so yeah, I think I'll leave it there because it's it's annoying because I I always write a lot down for podcasts and I normally get through it all quite quickly and then have to wing it. But I feel like we've. I'm not going to name certain guests, but like sometimes it's quite like you have to basically hold the conversation so i feel like we need to do many more podcasts down the line um to talk about all, all the other questions um but yeah thank you guys for coming on it's yeah, been great and again quickly to plug your podcast it's it'll be in the description of this um gabbing podcast and and gabbing and running gabriella and rowan, rowan love a good pun contrary to popular belief though i don't usually go by gab yeah, that's funny because my other friend called Gabriella hates the the name Gabby. No. Oh, mm. there you go. Yeah, I feel like Brits usually like to call me Gab, and then mm. North Americans like to call me G. So that's usually, yeah, that's usually what my nick. If you want to nickname me, go uh, for Gab. I stopped calling her Gabe just because I I like I had someone in a group called Gabriel and I liked calling him Gabe. So now I call her Gabe instead. Yeah. So yeah, Gabe's yeah. good. Yeah, that's good too. That's a that's a shout out. Gabriella's main pacer workout partner in the spring at UVic called Gabe. Yeah. Gabe the babe. So <laughs> there you go. Shout out She's to fun. you. Yeah. And I always like to end the podcast, and this is where you get put on the spot and it's extremely uncomfortable. Is there anything you'd like to say um, for the last 30 seconds before we get kicked off? Oh, nothing, nothing much to say other, uh, other than like, thanks for having us. Glad this could finally work out, you know, UK to West Coast Canada time changes kind of a, 
kind of annoying to get around. So I'm glad this worked out. And yeah, yeah check out our podcast if you enjoyed this listen. And you definitely don't have to worry about pulling teeth with conversation with Rowan and I. Not literally <laughs> every speech at our wedding remarks on the fact of like, well, they both talk a lot. <laughs> I always thought everyone was going to end up with somebody who couldn't talk, but we would only listen. Why was I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming on and thanks for listening, everyone. Please rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and goodbye.